Bow Wow Wow. I want candy. Island 1069 WIIS Key West. Good morning. I'm Gwen Filosa and with you for It's Too Early. That's the name of the show. Broadcasting right off Duval Street in beautiful downtown Key West, Florida. I am super excited to have my guest this morning. He's a writer. He helped start a film festival. He is an expert on slasher films and all things horror. Grady Hendricks, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Now, I know you're up in New York, and um, are, is it too early for you? No, you know, I'm an early person. That not that what they always say, the early bird kills the worm or something? I, I think there's murder involved in, uh, in the like, worm. Uh, <laughs> well, definitely from the worm's point of view, it's a terrible situation. <laughs> it's not good. But no, I'm so excited to have you on. We have, we share a passion for uh, horror films and books and slasher movies and um, your your latest is the Final Girl Support Group. Great title. Um, Thank you. Let's and and you you know the history of slasher films. You know what what works and what didn't and sort of the the changes and so let me just ask right now the first what's the first slasher film in your opinion? Well, I think most people would say it's a movie by the guy who directed Porky's, of all things, called Black Christmas from 1972, um, which is based on an urban legend. You know, that urban legend where someone's calling and they're saying crazy stuff like, I'm going to kill you. And then the police trace the call and it's coming from inside the house. Black Christmas was a version of that uh, from 72. But about six years later, I think John Carpenter really, you know, uh, pioneered the genre with Halloween, which had all the pieces in place, you know? It's it's amazing. And now there is, an, and then we had um, Prom Night, and we have, of course, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and, and the Friday the 13th movies, are, are they good? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, define good. I enjoy them. Okay, um, okay. they just seem yeah. a little, you, you know what's happening there. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, once a franchise gets up to about part 11 or 12, mm-hmm. I think it's fair for an audience to ask questions like that. But, just, yeah. you, I just I could never get into them. I'm like, oh, scary, Jason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I felt the same way growing up, and then I've sort of come around to them, and I'm at a point now where where I don't have taste anymore. I'm so <laughs> enmeshed in these movies that I feel like each one is beautiful in its own way. All the mutant children, you know, have, mm-hmm. have something going for them. Mm-hmm. And I think I think also it's generational. I'm a Freddy Krueger uh, nightmare on Elm Street kind of girl. I think those those are I think that was so inventive. Yeah, oh, well, Nightmare on Elm Street were amazing. I mean, those those movies really um, sort of took a genre that was dying. I mean, by 86, when Nightmare on Elm Street came out, 84, I guess, um, the genre was getting a little sleepy. And Wes Craven really decided to inject these kind of crazy supernatural elements and to make the killer kind of a ringmaster almost. You know, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely Freddy is the bad date who won't shut up, right? Um, yes, yes. <laughs> he, he's, he's always got an obnoxious dad joke. He's always <laughs> there with the bad touch. The thing that was always so interesting, I thought about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, is that they were a lot touchier than the other ones. Like Halloween, Michael Myers just sort of walked around and stabbed people. Mm-hmm. And Friday the 13th, Jason would stab them with a corkscrew or a harpoon or, or something. Something but, like but, that. Yeah, but the Nightmare on Elm Street movies got very sexual and very 
Freddy's, you know, he's a dead pedophile. He's very touchy. He's always erupting out of people's bodies and licking their faces. And the tongue and the phone, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like Uncle Sticky makes a movie, you know. It was, it was just this idea of the bad touch being literalized like that. Um, and I think it really resonated with people. You know, that kind of guy who won't leave you alone is always getting too close. And, you know, you think you ditched him and then you get in bed and he's under your covers. He he was. The, I even sat through Dream Warriors and the one they made later that made no sense about the characters being real and being. Uh, it, sorry, Wes. Oh, Nightmare on Elm Street 7. New Nightmare. Yeah. New Nightmare. I, actually have, a, I have a soft spot for that one. Um because it's interesting for them because Heather Langenkamp, the final girl in Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, plays Heather Langenkamp in the seventh one. And mm -hmm. there's something really interesting about watching it sort of get meta like that. Because one of the things I always find fascinating about these movies is the final girls really became icons, right? Heather Langenkamp yes. from Friday, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Adrian King from um, uh, Friday the 13th, Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween. And they were similar to the final girl characters. They were young women who did something really innocent. They appeared in a movie and all of a sudden this movie is haunting them for the rest of their lives. They have to have some relationship with it forever. And it's the same way as the final girls, you know, they do something very innocent. They go camping, they go babysitting, they, mm -hmm. you know, go to sleep and suddenly they're stuck with this killer who's going to haunt them the rest of their lives. So I've always found that parallel really interesting. And it's a final girl support group. What, what 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 is it about that narrative that it's a woman, a young young woman that survives, and yet she's also traumatized by being? But why do you think that that started? Why is that the the theme, the the hero? You know, it is too early to be asking deep <laughs> questions like that because you are asking the question. There is something really strange about our culture it's weird. going all the way back where we are really fascinated by stories of young women in peril from dangerous men. I mean, it goes all the way back. I mean, the first slasher narrative is Little Red Riding Hood. Yes. It's a young girl goes into the woods, is told not to do something. She does it, suddenly meets this monstrous male figure, the wolf and has to rely on her cunning and wits to get away from him. Um, you know, the story of Bluebeard. I mean, these fairy tales we have about these young women having to trick their way and to survive these male monsters, it goes way back. And I don't know what it says about us as a culture, but man, we, it's a story we tell ourselves over and over again. It, it, I appreciate that because it is it is just amazing how many times and you're right little I'm so glad you brought up Bluebeard and Little Red Riding Hood I was telling someone the other day it's terrifying it's a child oh yeah it, she's a <laughs> kid and, and, a wolf eats her grandmother I mean you're not gonna see that on uh, Rugrats you know you're you're just not you're just not now uh, you also you have a lot of books out there my best friends exorcism horror store horror store i, I you got to tell us about horror store this is an ikea gone wrong yes well i mean isn't every ikea an ikea every <laughs> ikea is sort of a shopping expedition gone wrong but that one um it's about a haunted ikea because i was talking to my editor and we were like well what would be haunted behind besides the house and we immediately thought oh big box retail i mean where else mm -hmm. do people spend all their time and there was nowhere that seemed more likely to be haunted than an ikea um, and one of the things that was interesting about writing that book is 
something that always happens in haunted house books is that you get lost, you get trapped in the mm. house, right? Um, in The Shining, they're trapped in that Overlook Hotel. In something like Shirley Jackson's Haunting of Hill House, they're trapped in this house that always seems to be rearranging itself. And where else on earth tries to deliberately get you lost and trap you inside but Ikea? Um, and so it was a natural fit to be full of ghosts. I like it. I like it. Now, there's so much. You do You do a lot of stuff, Grady. Did you know this? You have a lot going on. You have a lot going <laughs> I, on. I, I, I do, but that's the curse of being a freelancer for a long time. Um, you say yes to every opportunity because you never know when they're going to stop. Because what I what I admire about you, you've done, I mean, I consider this scholarly work. You write a lot of articles, a lot of uh, nonfiction stuff that you're saying, hey, here's the slasher film history. Or here, one thing you did, you read everything by Stephen King. What is that, 38 novels? Uh, well, poems? unfortunately, uh, it's, it's everything, the poems, the novels, the short stories. And when I stopped about four years ago, mm -hmm. uh, I finally thought, I've got it. I've got to the end. Damn it, he's gone on and written 11 more since then. So oh it, it never ends. He's a machine. <laughs> I love Stephen King. I grew up, re I was a little too young to read Christine and stuff. I learned what a condom was through Stephen King's sure. um, The Dead Zone. So thank you, Mr. King. Uh, I learned a lot about teenage boys. And um, I don't know, Apt Pupil was terrifying. The body before it became Stand By Me. Oh, yeah. Which Stand By Me was not, sorry, it wasn't as scary as the... As that story, I just loved his um his. I loved Children of the Corn, even though the films are problematic. Uh, I I just grew up. He made me want to be a writer, which I'm, I'm I'm a reporter. Anyway, the point is, was there a point though where you're like, whoa, Rose Matter is going a little too far? I mean, Dolores Claiborne is one thing. Or I mean, they're they're not they're not all. I mean, he's an amazing writer. There's a couple that probably aren't great, right? Oh, sure. I mean, sure. There's some, I mean, everyone has their favorites and the ones they like least. And I think everyone, myself included, can make a really good case for why this book sucks, but this one's the best. And, but at the end of the day, when I read all of them, I kind of was thinking, you know, I'm not going into them to read the book I want to read. I want to read the book Stephen King wants me to read. And so uh -huh. if he wants me to read 800 pages of made up words about cartets that I don't know what he's really talking about, I'm going to go along for the ride and see where it takes me. And I was, I was glad I did it that way because even books like Insomnia, which I, which really <laughs> was hard to stay awake through for me, just not my 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 thing. Um, they they all taught me something, you know. Um, and 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 it's really interesting to me when you think about Stephen King, because. You look at someone who's who's a writer on that level, like uh, Joan uh, Joan Collins or or um, Anne Rice for a while, mm -hmm. or John Grisham or Tom Clancy when he was alive, and all those writers wrote the same kind of book over and over. John Grisham always wrote legal thrillers. Joan Collins always wrote, you know, about these fabulous Hollywood wives and things. And Stephen King tries something new with every book. Every Sometimes book? it's Sometimes it's a thriller. Sometimes it's a slow burn meditation on life after death. Sometimes it's a sort of more actiony thing about butt weasels. I mean, you know, he's always trying something new. And I have to give him credit for that, man. He has been doing this for a long time. He could hang up his pen at any point. He just loves telling stories, you know? And, and he's just a raw talent. Oh, what was it like to progress from, was it Carrie the first one? 
Terror, yeah. Now it is too long, right? Come on, it <laughs> it it is very. I'm not going to say too long, but it is very very long. Um, I read it in it high is, school, but it, it's too long. Yeah, and there's a moment where I was I was writing the article about it, sort of summarizing the book for people, and I realized I had just written the sentence. By page 500, the story really kicks into gear. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I, I thought oh wow it's yeah just... well i mean he still had 400 pages after that to play with so because to me also stephen king i think he's the a master short story writer i used to yeah just eat those up they're so good they're so well remember the one about the guy who tries to quit smoking and things get oh better. yeah quitters ink i yeah, think yeah quitters ink and then the one where the guy has to walk around the building on a ledge i mean come on this is this i think is... it actually called the ledge the ledge, um... <laughs> the ledge gets real and um but you're right he could have just phoned it in for 20 30 years and he he hasn't exactly and you know it's it's really it's interesting to me why you know it's funny you saying what changed over the years and you read something like carrie and you read his stuff now and undeniably he has become a much much better writer and mm -hmm. some of his short stories now i mean the new yorker publishes his short stories now he yep. started out around the time he was writing carrie and places like you know um cavalier and adam these men's magazines there are people mostly bought them for the dirty pictures were publishing his stuff mm -hmm. and now the new yorker does i mean it is a it is a unbelievable journey for him and um, I know we're running out of time. You got to come back like every week, okay? This is your yeah. my hero. It, <laughs> I am always. This is the time of day I'm in my office, so we're, anytime you call, I'll answer. We're just gonna call all the time. But uh, wanted to ask about um, true crime. Is and you've written about this. True crime has. I've always been a true crime person. Like, and I used to look at those time life serial killer books, and I don't know. I fall asleep listening to Morbid and My Favorite Murder, and I don't. But I know. What they're doing grady and you do too they're just reading other people's reporting and saying in wikipedia and what's going on yeah. well i mean <laughs> yeah well you know i think what's happened is that a lot of podcasters and, and and it's not all podcasters but many of them have figured out that people love this stuff Mm -hmm. But that the the mass market paperback with the crime scene photos in the middle, like there's a little they look a little grotty. And if there's a way to get access to the crimes in a more conversational, friendly way, there's an audience for it. And mm -hmm. so it's almost like people, you know, who used to just read the newspaper onto the radio in the early days of radio. Mm -hmm. These are podcasters who are just your friends talking about the, the bodies found in trunks and the severed heads that you want to hear about in a really friendly, accessible way. Um, and so I think that's become a lot of it. It's sort of like the early days of the internet where a lot of sites were just aggregating news from other sites. Um, and, you know, and there are some fascinating ones. I mean, I don't know if you listened to The Clearing, but it was the daughter of the serial killer, Edward Wayne yes, Edwards. I did listen to The which, Clearing. It was amazing. Yeah, and she didn't do a lot of her own reporting, but it was fascinating to see her talking about this family history and her own life and where it intersected with the bigger news story of these horrible crimes her dad had committed i mean that blew my hair back because i and i love georgia and karen i do i and they come from such a like what an underdog story but now they're super rich grady <laughs> they're uh, and I think they're right. They're running out of crimes. Sorry, Georgia and Karen, you can call me. I think you're running. They're running well, out it, of ideas. 
Now that that's a horror movie, a, a true crime podcaster who runs out of crime so starts to commit them. Ah, I like it. I like it. But uh, I I just appreciate you coming on and um and what 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 are the best podcasts if you're a fan of horror or um uh, slasher films? What are some good ones? Well, you know, the clearing was great, but I got to say the one that really satisfies my itches in all kinds of ways is a uh, last podcast on the I was left. I going to bring that up. I love those fellas. Even when they, yeah. play, they get problematic, Grady. But they do. They do. They're but, and, so you know, good. And I, they're so good. And I like their earlier seasons a little more than their more recent seasons. But good God, they've done hundreds of episodes. If you can't find something in there that you want to listen about for two hours, man, this isn't the genre for you. Well, and they're, they're just so talented. The, the way it works, it's just them talk, but there's they make it happen you can't just do a podcast and just chat but they can and the research the research that marcus yeah. does is uh, i mean they actually read all these books and talk you know they they do a ton i love last podcast on the love i'm i'm a fan and um, yeah no it's it's good stuff they 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 go all out so uh grady hendrix the the book is the final girl support group my best friend's exorcism um horror store a bunch ton more check him out um grady i hope you have a great day and i'm gonna text you later okay thanks <laughs> take care bye-bye and Bye -bye. Uh, thank you all for tuning in today to it's too early it's the name of the show i'm gonna come back with a look at headlines and weather but uh, let's let's push on with a song first this is alice merton vertigo stick around <laughs> 